Hi, and welcome to Figure of Speech, a program from WRBH, where every week you can meet local poets and writers from the New Orleans community and listen to them share their work. On today's episode, we'll be featuring Dalt Wonk, who is a writer of plays, poems, and fiction, and lives here in New Orleans. The city itself has inspired many of his works, French Quarter Fables, The Riddles of Existence, Spiritual Gifts, and his children's book, The Laughing Lady, which he also illustrated. These can all be viewed and purchased from Luna Press. And without further ado, here he is. Hello, everyone. This is Dalt Wonk, and I'm going to be reading you some of my fables. They're called The French Quarter Fables, published by Luna Press. Lunapress.com. And then local bookstores, all the wonderful local bookstores all have them. Uh, French Quarter Fables. So we will start with the butterfly and the rose. Whenever the butterfly appeared, flittering across the courtyard like color come to life, the whole world seemed to notice. He had a fine proboscis and large dark eyes, a demeanor unmistakably patrician, and his manners, which were glittering, rung a chorus of adoring sighs from lily, jasmine, hyacinth, and lotus, who offered their nectar sweetly in submission with the secret hope they'd one day be his wife. But he preferred to dally, to dally here and there, sport briefly with the bell of some parterre, and once he tired of this recreation, fly off in search of his next brief flirtation. The whole world, that is, except the rose. For on that morning she first caught his eye, the season's most exquisite bloom was drowsing beneath a canopy of cool magnolia. Her scarlet blush, her scent, her silken features, her slight poetic touch of melancholia were even more seductive in repose. The butterfly, abandoned his carousing and lighted on a point of leaf nearby to contemplate this unsuspecting creature who'd shortly have the pleasure to discover that he'd selected her to be his lover. But she revealed, when she at last awoke, that she'd been, so to speak, inoculated against his arrogance by her own vanity, for she was not the least intimidated and made her virtuoso suitor stammer as he attempted to display urbanity by spurning his advances with a joke. All summer, day by day and week by week, she parried his charisma with her glamour and trumped his savoir-vivre with her chic. Though, if the truth be told, she was impressed, and his nearness caused her singular distress. It was his presumption he could not, she could not abide, his own too high opinion of his powers, as though, like all the others, she would yield a victim on the altar of his pride, she the most magnificent of flowers. Never! Her mind was set, her will was steeled. Brief moments when they might have breached the wall of egotism, keeping them apart, slipped by unseized. Once, meeting her by chance, all pretense fell, and he confessed his heart, 
but with a laugh as though he took it lightly, at which she frowned and flashed a frigid glance to show she found his public scene unsightly. And so, in the heat of the sun and the buzz of cicada, they fought their amatory intifada day by day and week by week till fall. But when the first cool breeze of autumn swept across the garden and the fountain darkened with decaying leaves and clusters of ripe berries hung on vines birds quarreled over like contested booty, a thing occurred she'd never have believed. The butterfly returned to beg her pardon. The rose was wilted now, a ravaged beauty, with nothing left intact except her spines, and he who once had soared in the wind now crept. Time had wreaked a brutal desecration, but offered them this final consolation. They fell into each other's arms and wept. And the aphorism to this fable is humility is the one true gift of age. Ain't it the truth? That is the hoped-for response to the aphorism called in English the moral, which seems to imply there was a lesson taught, which maybe in some fables there are, but this ain't the right place if that's what you're looking for. This is more like ain't it the truth place. Okay, so here's another fable. It's called The Mousetrap. Okay. <clears throat> Fortune was not smiling on the mouse. He'd foraged, foraged all night but failed to gain admission to a single jar or canister or bin, and his gunny sack was empty of provisions. Then a noise he made woke up the sleeping cat. He fled in terror through the darkened house, while, like a vengeful fury, she pursued leaping and tumbling like an acrobat, somehow he contrived to save his skin. <sighs> With a heavy heart, he started trudging back to the little hole in the wall that he called home. He was ashamed to face his waiting spouse, for they had a numerous and hungry brood, but not a scrap of food. His bones were aching, and his mood was black. When suddenly, before his dazzled eyes, like a specter figure in a catacomb, a perfect wedge of cheese materialized, pale and warm and ripe and aromatic. His luck has changed at, at last. He was ecstatic. But what was it doing on this strange device? And why was it carelessly left lying there? Mankind has never been a friend to mice. He hesitated, for he was suspicious, and fearing hidden danger, sniffed the air. But an aroma, cloying and delicious, dulled his brain and paralyzed his will, and in a dream he saw his dreams fulfilled. The returning hero, welcomed by his mate, like a pirate captain bringing home a treasure as the children, feasting gaily, squeal with pleasure. 
and with these happy thoughts, he took the bait. How about the hibiscus and the fern? Hibiscus and the fern. Okay. <clears throat> A pampered young hibiscus liked to take the sun each afternoon upon her balcony. A weather-beaten fern who clung to a nearby wall would keep her company. Look at you, fern, the young hibiscus once declared. Those gnarled roots, that twisted stem, those yellowed leaves. Of course, she had received the finest care, and though well-meaning, she was quite naive. Why don't you try to make yourself presentable, she asked, for she was naive and just a trifle snooty. Not all fortunes are preventable, he sighed. Not everyone is blessed with youth and beauty. When the weather's extreme, you're never put out. Through the balcony window, I've watched you flourish in the frosts of winter and the summer's drought while I drooped and froze and nearly perished. As a seed, you were potted in peat and rich soil. A bird dropped me here, and here I am stuck. The little that's mine I won by my toil. All that is yours you owe to your luck. I owe to the beauty I bring to a place so the heart may be soothed and the spirit uplifted. But her, gro her voice grew faint, for the clouds had shifted. The fierce rays of the sun fell full on her face. Her roots started shriveling, her petals went slack. But where was the owner she so often had cheered? It was long past the time he should have appeared. Would he leave her there suffering and never come back? And she realized with horror that she'd been betrayed, spurned for no reason, condemned without cause, as the tropical sun, like a great bird of prey, clutched her frail limbs in its fiery claw. And the fern, ah, oh, the fern, he would always survive. A craggy old hermit, alone with his truth. He watches unmoved each new neighbor arrive, flushed with her beauty and proud of her youth. And the aphorism for that one. Advantages that depend on another can prove illusory. In a dim, secluded corner of the garden that no one thought worthwhile to cultivate, on one inclement afternoon in April, a seed arrived upon the winds of fate. No nutriments were added to its soil. No one brought it water in a drought. It managed with the leftovers of sunlight, yet somehow found the fortitude to sprout. The weed survived her childhood deprivations, though they left her somewhat pale and frail and short, and even in the bloom of adolescence, she still leaned on a cane reed for support. And she never met the roses or the lilies or their coterie of bored aristocrats who snickered that her clothes were too revealing and that she had atrocious taste in hats. So languishing in her forgotten corner, she'd watch the flowers dancing in the breeze and envy them their glittering cotillions and the amorous attention of the bees. Since I am small, I never will be noticed. 
Since I am weak, I don't deserve respect. I get no help because I am not worthy. I am alone because I can't connect. One day, while thus lamenting her exclusion, she heard a soft, perplexing sort of hum then glimpsed the most extraordinary creature floating over the chrysanthemums, floating with his air of connoisseurship and his minute sartorial perfection, floating with the fragilest of movements, miraculous to say, her direction. She offered up her fragrance to refresh him. She yielded him her nectar, and he sipped. With the smoothness, with the smoothness of her petals, she caressed him thankful for his brief companionship. In the morning when she woke, he was beside her. From day to day his departure was delayed. And she, who was so conscious of her failings, could not refrain from asking why he stayed. Since you are small, you've learned how to be pliant. Since you are weak, you've learned to comprehend. You get no help, so you've grown self-reliant. Since you're alone, you've learned to be a friend. And the aphorism is, see yourself the way your friends see you. See yourself the way your friends see you. Okay, this is Dalt Monk again, reading from my French Quarter Fables. I'll just start reading from the beginning of um, Fables, French Quarter Fables, Volume 1. There are two volumes, Volume 1 and, to everyone's great surprise, Volume 2. There you go. So, uh, and they are in um, soft cover, but a very special good soft cover. And uh, there you go. Okay, so... Very first one is called The Impulsive Swallow. She snuggled her children and put them to bed. Then she went to her room and she lay down her head. Tomorrow was behind... Start again. That was a mistake. Okay. Starting again, The Impulsive Swallow. She snuggled her children and put them to bed. Then she went to her room and she lay down her head. The day was behind her, tomorrow would keep, and her mind drifted off on a soft wave of sleep. But she woke in the darkness. Where am I, she cried, and she felt a dull pang that stirred deep down inside. In its tangle of branches, the moon seemed to throb, and the voice of a saxophone pleaded and sobbed. Each night around midnight, he'd come improvise. Each night he would watch with those same burning eyes. She'd preen by the window to show her contempt, but she couldn't help hearing and she wasn't exempt. So she slicked back her wings and she fluffed out her tail and she walked out and leaned on the gallery rail. And the night air was fragrant and the sky full of stars. She walked out and listened and let down her guard. The children woke up, they ran straight to her room, it was empty as moonlight and still as a tomb. Just a breeze from the window, a feather in flight, and the wail of a saxophone 
lost in the night. And the aphorism is, before you give in to the music, consider the source. But I'm going to have to do this one again. It hadn't occurred to me we were doing it on radio. So it is very important to know, of course, that we have the swallow, but the person playing, or the creature, rather, playing the saxophone is a cat. So you have to think of a cat with a saxophone downstairs, and you have to think of this Miss Swallow, or Ms. Swallow, upstairs on her balcony. Unless you realize it's a cat playing the saxophone, this is a very, very mysterious ballad. So, with that in mind, the, per- the creature playing the saxophone is a cat down on the street next to a French Quarter lamppost. Okay, here we go, we try it again. She snuggled her children and put them to bed. Then she went to her room and she lay down her head. The day was behind her, tomorrow would keep, and her mind drifted off on a soft wave of sleep. But she woke in the darkness. Where am I? she cried, and she felt a dull pang that stirred deep down inside. In its tangle of branches, the moon seemed to throb, and the voice of a saxophone pleaded and sobbed. Each night around midnight, he'd come improvise. Each night, he would watch with those same burning eyes. She'd preen by the window to show her contempt, but she couldn't help hearing, and she wasn't exempt. So she slicked back her wings, and she fluffed out her tail, and she walked out and leaned on the gallery rail. And the night air was fragrant, and the sky full of stars. She walked out and listened, and let down her guard. The children woke up, they ran straight to her room, it was empty as moonlight, and still as a tomb. Just a breeze from the window, Heather in flight, and the wail of a saxophone lost in the night. And the aphorism is, before you give in to the music, consider the source. Before you give in to the music, consider the source. Now we'll do the next one, the root and the flower. Uh, the last one, the... Um, The sparrow was a ballad. This one is not. Okay, and this one is a little off-color, you might say, a little risque. So don't listen to it until the children are asleep in bed. Okay, and I hope no one's offended, but here we go. All summer long, through sun and storm, the room went... Start again. Okay, the root and the flower. All summer long, through sun and storm, the root went stoically from task to task, wearing the ragged dress she'd always worn, as though arrayed for some unhappy tryst with the god of drudgery. What sentiments lay masked beneath her unremitting apathy, no one knew and no one thought to ask. For to the pampered creatures she attended, lounging through their languid matinees, drinking highballs of nectar in verdant negligees, 
the old crone seemed hardly to exist. Perhaps because she was a bleak reminder, despite the ingenious efforts they expended, time would not slow down or treat them kinder. Misgivings, which are easily comprehended, since all their ease and elegance depended on keeping their looks. For this disgruntled root was chambermaid in a house of ill repute. And while she passed her time in menial chores, making up the beds or mopping floors, she recited to herself an angry list of ways she'd been exploited and abused, of paltry favors that she'd been refused and sacrifices that went unrewarded. In short, she spent the day consumed by resentment. And though, in fairness, this could be excused, it precluded any possible contentment her circumstances might have afforded. On this illicit bush there was one bloom who more than all the others had been blessed in the physical endowments she possessed. Her soft white petals and her sweet perfume awakened carnal visions of delight so potent that she got very little rest. For she was deluged constantly with offers of prodigal amounts to fill her coffers, in compensation for a brief romance, from aphids, butterflies, bees, wasps, and ants, frantic with the urge to pollinate. Jasmine was her name. She bloomed at night. But this fair flower met a tragic fate, for her career was cut off prematurely by a psychopathic moth, who, in the parlor, accosted her demurely, but in bed behaved like an ostrogoth. He'd no sooner pounced upon her when this satyr revealed he had peculiar tastes and quirks to which she stridently declined to cater in a torrent of words not found in lexicons. Undismayed, he tried to obligate her. She struggled free, she screamed, he went berserk and beat her pretty head in with a bronze. In the moldy chamber of the cellar, the root, who had just woken up for work, heard sirens, shouts, and muddled sounds of panic, and raced upstairs to join the other dwellers, who, strange to say, looked almost puritanic, clinging to one another in their fright. But when her eyes fell on the grisly sight, she said with a smile that was practically satanic, You had it coming, bitch, it serves you right. And, the aphorism is, the misfortunes of those we envy seem like justice. The misfortunes of those we envy seem like justice. Okay, we'll try one more. Uh, almost running out of time. We'll try one more. Okay, <clears throat> the rabbit and the poodle. Now, this is the Bourbon Street one. Okay. Here we go. The rabbit's eyes were dazzled by the lights gleaming in lurid colors on the stage that only made the darkened room seem darker. He might have fled right then, except the barker with a jovial shove propelled him further in, as though coaxing a timid pet into a cage. But after all, he was out to see the sights, since this would be his one night on the town, and a voice announced the show would soon begin so he stumbled to a chair, and he sat down. 
a roll of drums brought on the famous Poodle with her shapely midriff and her curly locks. But the more he watched, the more he grew perplexed, for he could have sworn she tendered him a wink as she crossed the stage in leaps and arabesques, some of which were quite unorthodox. And she seemed like the sweetest thing he'd ever met when after the show she joined him tete-a-tete and said with a smile that made resistance futile, be a sport and buy a girl a drink. And what a thrill it was to realize this lovely creature found him fascinating, for when he spoke she hung on every word like someone who was being hypnotized. Her admiration was intoxicating, for she'd propose some sentimental toast and quickly bolt down each new round he bought her, which wasn't hard, since hers was mostly water. But when his eyes were glazed and speech was slurred, and his shirt was stained and his tie was in a gnarl, she emptied out his wallet with a snarl and wandered off to find a fresh new host. In the aphorism, the friendship of a hypocrite is a prelude to betrayal. The friendship of a hypocrite is a prelude to betrayal. And that's all for now from the French Quarter Fables. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was multi-talented writer Dalt Wonk. And that's our show. You've been listening to Figure of Speech, a community poetry and writing program from WRBH. Tune in every Saturday at 1 p.m. and on Mondays at 9 p.m. for more great New Orleans writing. Thanks for listening.